0: Thank you, James. You are not the bottom of the barrel, you're the top of the shelf, brother. Yeah. Yeah, nothing but the best for our church. Good morning. Well, it's great to see you guys this morning and just to be with you. And I heard the guys had a great time yesterday. Uh, I lost my sea legs many years ago. <laughs> so uh, just uh, with you in prayer. But praise the Lord for a great day yesterday. Uh, I have another praise uh, this past week. DJ and Elizabeth had their baby girl, so praise the Lord for that. And actually, Hensley Rose makes her uh, Calvary debut this morning, and so uh, praise the Lord for you guys and the baby, their first one. So exciting! Our church continues to grow. I think our last count we have 12 uh, families that are expecting. So coronials, right? That's uh, that's what they're calling them now. <laughs> All right. Uh, I know James just hit the announcements. I, I do want to also invite you this coming Sunday for our, uh, our Easter Sunday services, 8.30, 10.30, our normal times. However, it's going to be a very special message and a great opportunity, really, just to invite your friends and coworkers and families and just whoever you want. Come on out. And as James mentioned, after second service, we're going to hang out and have just a big family you know, potluck luncheon. And if you can uh, hang out for that and join us, man, we would be blessed. It's always a a good, good time. Um, I do want to encourage you to take some time this week to read through the Gospels and and focus on the events, really, of the last week of the life of Christ, leading uh, up to the crucifixion, of course, the burial, and then his resurrection, rising from the grave. Today starts what we traditionally call Passion Week or Holy Week, And as mentioned, we we have a special message this morning. And so if you have your Bible with you, turn or tab over to the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. The events of what is called Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. Oh, thank you, guys. Does anybody need to borrow a Bible? If you do, you can. Yoko cannot hear. Yoko cannot hear. Our translator has no ears. Yeah. We'll get you squared away. Can you hear me, though? Can you, hear me? you can't hear me at all? <laughs> we'll get you squared away, Yoko. All right. So Palm Sunday, uh, the events of the triumphal entry. Yeah, she gave me a thumbs up. Uh, are recorded in all four Gospels. Luke's account is... Well, they're all unique, but Luke's account is unique in that it provides this uh, additional insight that the other Gospels don't include, and, and we're going to focus a little bit on that this morning. We'll look at the, the whole uh, scene as it happened, but uh, again, Luke gives us some very interesting details. And so because of that, I entitled our message for this Palm Sunday, uh, The Triumphal Tearful Entry. Okay. Luke 19, if you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to be at verse 28, all the way to 44. I won't read all of those verses, but uh, let me just read a few as we'll get a kind of a running head start here. Luke records for us verse 28, again, the 19th chapter. When he had said this, speaking of Jesus, so Jesus has just finished teaching. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you, where you will enter and you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosening it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way, and they found it just as he had said to them. All right, we're going to pause there. We'll unpack the rest, but just for our time of intro, we'll pause there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the morning. Ask that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, we know that there will be a day when you come and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. And Lord, we know that you desire for us to surrender that, to acknowledge that on this side of eternity And so, Lord, I pray if there was anybody here who has yet to give their heart to you, that today would be the day they surrender their life to you. And, Father, for those of us who know you, may we be encouraged and edified. May we be challenged in our faith today. Lord, that we wouldn't be stagnant, that we wouldn't be complacent, but, Lord, that we be encouraged, we be uplifted. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, take a moment, say hello to someone, and then you may have a seat. There are several scenes of Jesus recorded in the Gospels that I I would say, I I would characterize as surprising. They have a little bit of a shock value. They they seem to be maybe a little bit out of character into how we would expect the Lord to respond, react, or even some of the things that He would say that when you encounter them, you, you know, it causes you to pause for a moment and be like, did I just read that right? Like, is that did he say that? Did he actually do that? I mean, there's a few, there's a number of them. Let me just share a few of them with you, the ones that, that, you know, have grabbed my attention over the years. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is encountered by a Roman um, officer, a centurion. And this Roman centurion who comes to him and, and basically says, uh, my servant is sick, and will you come, and will you, will you heal my servant? And, and there's a lot of aspects of that scene that are surprising. The first, it, it's, it's a Roman soldier. You know They, uh, they were uh, suppressing and dominating that region at the time. They were considered enemies. And all of a sudden here, this Roman soldier comes to Jesus and asks for help, not even for himself or even his family members, for, for a servant. And even more surprising, Jesus says, okay, I'll I'll go. I'll I'll do that. But then the centurion says, no, listen, uh, I I understand authority. Like, even for me as an officer, when I tell my junior to do something, they'll do it and it'll be done. And so I just trust if you say the word, my my servant will be healed. And and Jesus, the Bible says Jesus marveled at this man. That in one sense, it almost surprised him. And he then turned to the disciples, and he turned to the rest of the crowd, and he says, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And he ascribes it to a pagan, or he describes it to a Roman officer. It's kind of shocking. Later on in in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, Jesus is talking about... uh, being a witness, and he's talking about basically loving kids and and teaching kids, and 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 he says something that's a little bit surprising to me. He sounds more like the mafia than he does the Messiah. He says, "Whoever it's in Matthew eighteen five and six, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones." who believe in me to stumble. He says it would be better for them to take a large millstone, this giant rock that looked like a donut, and tie that around your head and go jump into the ocean and basically, you know, die. <laughs> like, like, he sets up that scenario, like, that is shocking. It better, better that you just tie a, a rock around your neck and go jump in the ocean than, than to stumble one of these little kids. I mean, how serious is Jesus about kids (laughs) and loving kids and and welcoming kids? It's surprising in a very good way. In the gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is giving leadership principles. And he he calls them together and he calls the disciples and he says to them, "Uh, you guys know how the, my paraphrase, the rest of the world does it. You know that those who are regarded as rulers and leaders of the Gentiles, like they, they love to be the boss and they lord over them. And their superiors, they exercise authority over them. And the idea is just based upon their position or their rank. But He says to the, His disciples, He says, but that's not the model you're, you're to follow. That it shouldn't be that way amongst you. Like if you want to be great, if you, if you want to have influence, if you want to have authority, then you have to be the servant. Whoever wants to be first has to be last and be the slave of all. And there's so many other things that Jesus would say and do that would be just so surprising. I'll give you one last one. In John chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, We read about Jesus and it's an event that took place at the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry. And and Jesus, the Jesus that we see here, it's not not gentle Jesus. If I had to give him a title, it'd be Indiana Jones Jesus, because he comes into the temple courtyards, John records, he finds these guys selling, you know, sheep and cattle and doves. There's money changers. And of course, we know the, the context. They were cheating people and, he, and we're told he makes a whip out of cords and he, and he drives them from the temple and he, and he flips it over the tables and he pours out the, all of the coins of the money changers and he drives them all out and he says, get out of here. And then I.V says that Jesus says, how dare you? You've turned my father's house into a marketplace. It should be a house of prayer. These are some very surprising scenes. And, and there are many more occasions that are just, I would say, refreshingly surprising. We don't expect the way that Jesus works and says and does, is, you know, isn't always what you'd expect him. And sometimes I think we, we can have this image of Jesus that really isn't a true composite of who he is, as the Gospels reveal, well, the Scriptures reveal who he is. But rather, we we think of him in terms of who we want him to be. And and he can become easily just a a caricature, right, of certain attributes that we like. You know, we get to passages like this one in Luke, and and we get a snapshot of the, the depth the complexity of Jesus and His humanity. We realize that, oh, He, fully God yet fully man and in the flesh, He experienced hunger and thirst, fatigue. He experienced loneliness and rejection. He, he experienced sorrow and sadness. You know, we get to see what Isaiah, the prophet, told us back in chapter 53 verse 3 where he says that he was despised he's rejected by men he's a man of sorrows he's acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hid their faces he was despised and that prophecy goes on to saying we esteemed him not and so here in luke chapter 19 the events of of palm sunday as luke records them for us similar to the other gospels and we should expect them to be. But but Luke gives us this insight really to the tenderness of the Lord, to an expectation of the Lord that the other accounts don't record for us. And so for our time, for us here in Palm Sunday, I want to share three things with you from Luke's account that hopefully be encouragement and a challenge for us. Verse 28, I draw your attention back. We'll just go through these verses as we normally do. We're told That when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And then as it came to pass, he he draws near to Bethphagee and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet. And there he would send two of his disciples. Prior to this account, Jesus has uh, been making his way from the north and we're told that he stops in Jericho. And he basically has a divine appointment with two particular men One by the name of Bartimaeus, who was blind at one time, but now he's not anymore after meeting Jesus. And the other was a wee little man who climbed a tree by the name of Zacchaeus, who the Bible really indicates that his whole life was completely changed. The idea is he got saved because of that stop that Jesus makes. Luke records that Jesus took an opportunity to teach a parable about investing in God's kingdom. And the accountability that all of us have before the Lord when God comes back. And so having said those things, he's now making his way to Jerusalem. Oh, by the way, anytime we read of any group going to Jerusalem, it's always up to Jerusalem. Even though they're coming from the north. I think both true geographically, Jerusalem just sits high in elevation, but also spiritually. it's It's the epicenter. It's where the temple was and the center of worship. And so they're making their way up to Jerusalem. They get to the neighboring towns called Bethphage and Bethany. They sit on the, the base, actually on the eastern side of the slope of the Mount of Olives. Um, all of this geography, by the way, I, I hope and pray that we'll be able to go back to Israel um, as we hopefully resume our, our, you know, our tours. We, we used to go every three years. And so because of COVID, we haven't been able to go. And in fact, Israel's relaxed some of their um, entry requirements. And so there are groups, other Calvary groups right now that are there. So you guys can pray for that. And if you're PCSing and you're thinking, oh, no, I'm going to miss out. Hey, don't worry. We're going to grab you and just join us there, okay? So. But what happens when they get to these, uh, these two towns? We're, we're told that Jesus sends them actually into another village, an unnamed village. Verse 30 says, go into this village opposite you. And then when you get there, you'll find this colt that's tied there. Luke just tells us of the one. He focuses on the colt. Of course, the other gospels tell us there's a, there's a mama donkey and this baby donkey. This baby donkey, this colt, no one's ever sat on it. Loose it, bring it to me, bring it here. And anyone asks you, why are you doing that? Then you, you just say to them, hey, the Lord has need of this. And so we read that, sure enough, those disciples, they go, and they went their way, and we're told they found it just as he said to them. It should be no surprise to any of us. But then in verse 33, we read, as they're loosening the colt, sure enough, the owners come out, and they're like, hey, what are you doing? You're, you know, you're, you're donkey jacking me. What's going on? Why are you untying my colt? And so they say, well, the Lord has need of it. Here we read really simply just that Jesus sends these disciples with this errand and very simple but yet very detailed instructions. He tells them where to go, what to do, what to say, uh, how to respond if there's any trouble. And we read that the disciples followed those directions and they found it, verse 32, they found it just as it was told to them. And sure enough they encounter a a potential problem. <laughs> After getting this, uh, these animals, in the middle of them untying it, the owner comes out. And over the years, I've often wondered what the disciples were thinking at that moment. Like, oh no, we're busted, you know. I hope this works. Jesus told them, hey, if someone says anything, you just say, we, the Lord needs it. And it seemed like it worked. The owner's like, all right, no problem. Go for it. You know, just generally speaking, life goes better when we do what the Lord instructs us to do. <laughs> I mean, how do we know what to do? We praise the Lord that God has given us the scriptures. The Bible attests of itself that these things have been written so that we would know The Lord so that we may have life and life abundant. So that we everything that we need to live a, a holy life, God has, God has given us, inspired of His Spirit, written by men to uh, lead us and guide us. We have the Scriptures. Of course, we have the Holy Spirit, who the same Spirit who inspired the authors, who then inspires and, and illuminates the truth for us, to teach us and guide us lead us into the truth of, of God's Word. And gang, it's, it's usually when we deviate then from God's direction, and you and I do our own thing outside of what God has given us to do. When we read this and say, ah, I don't think so. I, I think I'm going to do something else. I, I, I see what the Lord wants me to do, what God's saying for me to do, this principles, but I'm going to try something else. Uh, That's generally when you and I will invite troubles, greater troubles and hardships into our life. And sometimes people can approach the scripture, I've shared this over the years, the word of God like a salad bar. Remember salad bars? They don't have any more, right? In COVID. (laughs) You approach a salad bar, you know how it works. Like you, you get what you like. I'll take some of this, I'll take some of that. And for me, there, there are usually two things that will never be on my plate if they're ever in a salad bar. One is beets, because it just, it'll just color everything, right? Your whole salad ends up being red. That's one. And the other is baby corn, because what is baby corn? It, it scares me. I think it's like genetically, what is that? An abomination. I don't know what baby corn is. <laughs> But we, we take what we like and we leave the rest. Now, that's okay at a salad bar, but that's not what we should do with Scripture. And yet people do that. Like, oh, I like God's grace. I like the idea of forgiveness. God's blessing, God's provision, I love all that. But turn from my sin, die to self, esteem others, Forgive people? Oh, I don't know. Right? We, we, we pick and choose. And yet, when we, when we live out the principles of Scripture, when we do what Jesus tells us to do, okay, we, we generally find that life will go better than we expected. Not perfect, because we're sinful. And people sitting next to us are sinful. And the driver in the other car is sinful. Right? I mean, life is hard enough. But when we're obedient, I mean, why, why, why would we invite more heartache and self-inflicted troubles on top of it? And so here the disciples do what the Lord had told them to do. And there is an aspect of this account that stands out every time that I read it. I think perhaps every... Time we've had a Palm Sunday message, uh, something that I've shared, and you just can't escape it. It's just integral to this, the account that we see. And that is that Jesus prepared everything. Jesus was the one who prepared it all. The disciples basically just carried out what the Lord commissioned them to do. They, they walked if you will, in faith, by faith, trusting what Jesus told them to do, what they were going to find, how they're going to get out of trouble. The Lord already planned it out for them. He already figured it all out. They just had to follow the plan. But the Lord prepared it all. And I love that. I mean, a similar scene plays out actually a few days from this occasion where they're going to gather in the upper room to have, uh, you know, what we call the Last Supper, the, the a Passover meal. And Jesus will tell the disciples, hey, I want you to go ahead and get to the city. In fact, you're going to find this guy carrying a, a pitcher of water. When you find that guy, ask him to lead you to the house. And the owners are going to give you, show you this room. It's already furnished, and that, that's where we're going to have the Passover. And so go find the guy, go get the room." and it's all squared away it was already prepared the lord already made the reservations he uh, got the cater already square, you know like it, it was all done and so palm sunday you guys as we come to this particular occasion and this day a holiday for us a holy day so that this scene this what the lord asked the disciples to do and the fact that he had set it up For us, it means something great. It means that you and I, too, can walk in faith, trusting God, knowing that He has prepared everything for you. And and our part is just to be obedient to that. And and when you and I are, guess what? There's blessings there. There's abundant blessings. There's great blessings for us. We're just obedient to the Lord, walking in faith and all that God has laid out for us. And that is a principle that we can apply to every part of our life. And it begins even with salvation, by the way. Of responding to God's call in your life just to come to know Him as Lord and Savior. See, He desires a, a, a loving relationship with you. Not religion, not rules and regulation. A dynamic, living, growing relationship with the God of the universe. And the Bible tells us uh, what keeps us from that is our sin. Sin separates us from God. And nothing we can do, nothing you can do, could ever erase that sin. No amount of good works, not religion. The Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And the rest of that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, inspired by the Spirit, lays out just this incredible biography that's true of all of us. All of us who've come to know the Lord. And if you don't know, Lord, know the Lord today, guess what? It can be true of you right now. In fact, I, I want to... I want to read this, or maybe we can read it. You can follow me as I'm reading it, but keep your um, finger in Luke 19 and and turn over to Ephesians. Chapter 2. It's still in the New Testament. Just a couple books over. You've got to go through the Gospels and Acts and Romans. 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Then God eats popcorn, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You guys good? If you have my Bible, it's fifth page 1579. Okay. Chapter 2. In you He made alive, who are dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as everybody else. But God, who is rich in mercy, and because of His great love, which He loves you, that He loved us, that even when you and I were dead, spiritually dead, in our trespasses and sins, it's God who made us alive. It's God by His Spirit that we have been made alive together with Christ. We're brought into community. And, and Paul says it's by grace we've been saved. We've been raised up together. The snapshot of, of, of heaven. We're, we're sitting together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, that he might then show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Uh, in other words, you and I get to be trophies of God's grace. Right? We're going to get to heaven. And people are like, why are you here? Oh, because Jesus. Right. And then verse eight: For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not what you do or don't do. It's not rules and regulations. It's not our religious work. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, first and foremost, the Lord wants us to walk in relationship with Him, in obedience, in faith, to place faith in what Christ has done. That's first and foremost. And that Jesus did everything for you and for me. He provided everything for that. All that remains is to receive this gift that God is offering. And then beyond that, not only did He prepare our salvation, but He prepares our, our sanctification. The rest of that verse goes on to say that, that we are then God's workmanship, In the original Greek, it's the word poema, where we get the word poem from. It's like a a beautiful craftsmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For what? Well, for good works. Which God prepared. God prepared beforehand that you and I then should walk in them. Last week, if you are with us, in Hebrews chapter 13, right towards the end, we talked about how God, it's God who works in you, the writer of Hebrews says. It's God who then enables you. It's God who then gives you even the will to do what God wants us to do. To the glory of God and the pleasure of God. He writes the same thing to the Philippians. He says, for it's God working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. You, you can turn back to Luke 19 if you're still in Ephesians. What does that mean for us, you guys? That, that means that you and I, we don't have to stress out, we don't have to strategize so much and figure out what are we going to do with our lives? There, there's a lot of relief in this, and I'd say there's maybe even a lot of release in this. Just follow what the Lord tells you to do today. What did God tell you to do today? Be be obedient to that. See, God knows where He wants to lead you and take you. God knows what's going to happen in your next duty station when you retire. God knows what's going to happen when your kids launch or they start first grade. Like this next season of life, the Lord is with you. The promise of God is He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And sometimes we, if you're like me, we can, I can fret and worry, and, and I do the mental chess game, and, and, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm making you know, pros and con lists and all of these things. And yet the Lord says, hey, just, just follow me. Just follow me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Lean not upon your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. And so the disciples did what the Lord told them to do. They found it exactly as the Lord said. They did and said what the Lord told them to do, and it went well for them. And the the same is true for us. And we read verse 35. They, they bring this colt to Jesus. They threw their own clothes on the colt. They set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Verse 37. And then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they've seen. And, and here's the song they, they break out in this chorus. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This next set of verses read as though the disciples and all the people who uh, were there, it's as though they had somehow previously been briefed on what they should do. But, but that wasn't the case. Oh, the Lord set all of this in motion. The Lord prepared for the cult. He prepared on this particular day. He would do something He would never have done before up to this day to, to allow the public acclamation of His identity as Messiah and King. But as the event unfolds in real time, the people respond to what's happening as it's happening. The disciples come back with the, the colt, they put their clothes on like a saddle. Jesus gets on. They they begin to from the top of the Mount of Olives make their way down. And as they're making this processional, others see this, they respond. Seems kind of odd, right? They, they are also then taking their outer cloaks. And don't get the weird idea like they, you know, they're just down to their boxers. You know, they had this kind of outer cloak. And they're, they're laying it down. Kind of an impromptu red carpet, if you will. To honor what's happening. And here comes Jesus writing down. Now the other Gospels will tell us that people respond and, and they too start, not only was it their cloaks and their clothes, but they start grabbing palm branches. And they break them off the tree and, and that's where we get the traditional name of Palm Sunday. Because if we only had Luke's account, it would be clothes Sunday. And so as the parade moves down the Mount of Olives, as they get closer to Jerusalem, we read that more people, the disciples, and now there's this multitude of people there, they've gathered around and, they, and it seems as though they kind of break out into this spontaneous song. Like a flash mob that came in. Everybody knows the, the words and the, you know, it's all choreographed. and It's a Palm Sunday flash mob. People are rejoicing, they're excited, they're praising God. It's a very dynamic scene. It's very electric. I mean, in and itself, it's, it's always good when people gather, when God's people gather in a public place to worship the Lord. That's a, that's a very powerful thing. It's a very edifying, encouraging, electric type of dynamic. Maybe you've seen some of the videos especially during the pandemic where groups were gathering and, and just to worship. United States, different places, and, and some of the political unrest was happening even in Hong Kong. There are groups that were gathering and they, would, they were worshiping the Lord. Or Even recently with Ukraine, some of the churches gathering and they're just worshiping the Lord in the midst of, of hard and difficult times. How did this group know to sing these particular verses from Psalm 38? The text doesn't tell us. It's Peter walking around like here's the, here's a hymnal. Here we go. This is what we're going to, we're going to have a PowerPoint over here in this palm tree and the, the background of what's happening gives us some clues. Why, why is there a large crowd in the first place? There's a very important Jewish holiday that's starting. For us as Christians, we call this, this event Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. But, but for the participants, for the Jews that are living in Jerusalem, it's the beginning of Passover. A very important, high and holy you know, days, holidays. And that holiday would bring thousands and thousands of people into the city and the surrounding areas and villages. It would be this particular day that the people would be coming into the city to to get their lambs and turtle doves to prepare for sacrifice. The lambs for the, the sacrifice of the Passover that families would gather together and and partake of, and celebrate, and remember how God had delivered their their family from bondage uh, centuries ago from Egypt. And so it was already a very important holiday for them. That's why all these people are there. And and this is, again, towards the end of the uh, the earthly ministry, and and I'll say earthly life of Christ. Of course, He's still alive. And, And we know that That word had spread about Jesus being the promised Messiah. There's people in this group who have seen him come to Jerusalem before. There's others who haven't. Because later on they're going to ask, like, who who is this? There's a group that's these out-of-towners that they, they don't know what's going on. But this event overlaid on the the week of Passover, which was already very nationalistic in spirit, commemorating and stirring feelings of, of nationalistic pride. Their identity is God's chosen. Commemorating when God sent a deliverer to deliver them from foreign oppression and slavery and bondage and bring them into freedom. So that event, the triumphal entry overlaid on what's happening in this time of history, well, Israel's under Roman control. The Roman Empire at this time is the most powerful empire in the world. Their reach would stretch across Europe, even into England, all the way down, even into the northern tips of Africa. And the Romans controlled nearly every aspect of their life. And so here are people who were oppressed by a pagan, heathen empire. And they longed to be free. And so now the very real possibility of a deliverer uh, of Jesus who has done miracles upon miracles coming presenting himself as a king uh, a prophetic picture that Zechariah would speak of that that David himself would do in Another king by the name of Jehu from 2 Kings 9. Coming into the city, riding on a donkey. The, uh, for the Romans, that was laughable. But for the, for the Jews, that, <laughs> that was appropriate. Humble and meek. And here he's coming. And so imagine again the air and, and the atmosphere and all of this. It's exciting. It's energizing. So how do they know to sing this song? Well, this chorus they sang from Psalms was already a part of the Passover festivities. It was already something they normally would sing. It's already something that they would normally celebrate. Now they had an actual person, though. It wasn't just some promise of hopefully somebody someday, here's our King, Hosanna, Hosanna, Saved now. Here's Jesus fulfilling all of those prophecies. Now we have the advantage of knowing that that excitement and that energy would change very quickly less than a week's time. Was Jesus the Messiah? He absolutely was and is. He came to save them. So Hosanna, save now, is appropriate. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. That's appropriate. But what changed? Their expectation. See, what they were not expecting or wanting, maybe I rephrase it, what they were expecting and what they were wanting Wasn't what Jesus did for them. So they wanted a military leader. They wanted a a political revolt. Kick out these pagan Romans and give us our land back. They're, They're looking for political reform, be freed from taxes. And Jesus came to deliver them, but He came to deliver them from the power and the penalty, not necessarily of Rome, uh, but something greater that enslaved them and kept them in bondage, their own sin. See, Jesus came as the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, who would take away their sins. And the Lord orchestrates all of this in fulfillment of these prophecies to demonstrate that he is the king. But they're wanting a political king. But he wants to be their personal king. He he wants to be the king of their hearts first. First and foremost. Because their true deliverance, their true freedom, their true joy... Their true identity, it's, it, it wasn't going to be found in political reform. It was only going to be found in a personal transformation. And gang, that is true for us today. Our ultimate hope is not found in a political party or a political leader. It's not found in policy changes it doesn't mean that we can't pray for God's grace in those realms of our life. But our hope and our identity doesn't rest in that. Our deliverance doesn't come from that. It doesn't come from an economic or environmental reform. It comes only in the saving work of Jesus Christ, in the person of who Christ is. And that's what we got to get settled See, even for us as believers, if we're not careful, even today we can impose our own misguided hope and desire that Jesus would do this, that Jesus would affect outward change as though outward change was the solution alone. When God's really more interested in inward change. Because we often think, well, if my circumstances will change, then I'll be good. If my outward, you know, these things that are happening, if, if this would improve or if this would change, if I could just get to this level or this job or this income or have this family or this house or whatever, then, then I'll be happy, then I'll be content. I'll be better off. And what happens? If you're like me, that's what we pursue. That's what we pray for. And again, be care- I, I want to I be careful. It's not that we can't pray for those things. But if we make them our all in all, right? If we make them like, that's going to be my identity. That's going to be my source of joy. You and I will quickly find that we will not get what we're hoping. Because <laughs> so often what the Lord is mostly interested in is your heart. <laughs> he's, he's, he's interested in the inner work. That's what He often wants to change. Change your not your outward circumstances, but your outlook. Or change your attitude or mine. Change where we find our contentment and fulfillment. And so Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus wants to be the king of your hearts, first and foremost. More than outward changes, that the Lord wants to change you inwardly. We'll continue. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. The religious leaders are there. And the Lord responds to them and says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. This is a funny scene to me. Because there in the midst of all the excitement, there are the religious leaders. And in my mind's eye, I just see them sour and salty. You know, they have like a frowny face. They're just watching. They're not happy at all. They're disgusted by what's happening. And as this crowd breaks out into song, they, they are, they're not joining the chorus, right? They don't appreciate it. And so they, they tell Jesus, hey, why don't you tell your followers to keep it down, keep it quiet? It's sad really. I think it's a mini snapshot into the heart of a person who's just legalistic. They 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 don't appreciate genuine worship, spontaneous worship. Jesus had a warning, he would say, we gotta be careful that we're not like old wineskins. Lord wants to pour out a new wine, a fresh work, and if we're stiff and rigid, the illustration is that the old wineskins bust and burst. But that we're to be like new wineskins, yield it to the work of the Spirit, allowing the Lord to do what He wants to do, the the move of the Spirit. And so, again, we don't want to become like these Pharisees, become cynical at worship and well, Jesus, Jesus engages them, and he basically says, listen, even if these people didn't sing, I got my own rock band. Right? All right, just make sure you're awake. The stones would cry out, which is fascinating to me. Of course, the Bible says all of creation sings. This imagery of how the, the trees clap their hands, and the heavens declare the glory of God. All of creation sings. Sometimes when I hear the birds chirping, even on Sunday morning sometimes. Or for us in Okinawa, we get to be near the ocean. You go to the ocean and it just reminds me, imagine just creation worshiping its creator. It's a beautiful thing. Well, he engages them, and then verse 41, here's, here's the part that Luke includes that the other gospels don't. He says that as he drew near, he saw the city, and notice with me, he weeps over it. He weeps over it. And the Lord says something that Luke records for us. Jesus says, if you had known, even you, especially in this year, Notice this. It's your day. It doesn't say my day. Your day. The things that would make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave it one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. As the Lord comes down into the city, we read that He sees Jerusalem, and and His response is He cries. There's three times that the Bible tells us the Lord wept. In John chapter 11, verse 35, it's just, some say it's the shortest verse in all the scripture. Jesus wept. You remember why he wept on that occasion? Lazarus, Lazarus very good. Lazarus had died. And he gets news of that. And, and we're told that he, he's heartbroken. Over that. And so he, he cries. The other time, which we actually covered in Hebrews chapter 5. It speaks about how Jesus was praying. And it says with vehemence. It's, it's strong emotional cries and it says end tears. And each of the occasions is near the end of his earthly life. It reveals what mattered most to our loving Savior. As we were told earlier, it reminded us in Isaiah 53 that he's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. Hebrews 4.15 says that he is our high priest. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's lived through that. He's walked through that. And so when we, we see this surprising reaction, a moment of tenderness, of, of emotion, it reminds us he, he is fully God, but he is fully human. And he experienced emotion. And a fullness of emotion because he, he he cares about people it's a great reminder for us that our God is not a God who is distant and and away, but he's close he knows you, and we can be assured that when we go through pains and frustrations and heartache and and, and all of the emotion anger and sadness and and all of that, the Lord the lord who created them and gave them to you our emotions he feels them himself in fact maybe this morning you know you're in a state of just being unsettled the lord is with you psalm 34 says the lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit so here Jesus looks down over the city of Jerusalem, and, and he wept, and by the way, it's not just like a you know let me just kind of dab a little, or some of you guys say, "Oh, my, my eyes are sweating." The word for wept it isn't just you know a little bit of a, a little bit of a tear that's coming down it It, it means... It's the Greek word here. It's the word kaleo. It it means like an intense sobbing. It's a a deep grief. A strong emotion. Sometimes we we can have like a little bit of weeping. You're watching a particular TV show or uh, endearing movie or something like that. Um, My wife's like that. My wife's very tender-hearted, these things. And... And sometimes I feel like, oh, you're just you're just torturing yourself. You know, she's watching that uh, hopefully it doesn't stumble anybody, that that This Is Us TV show. And she's watching just the other end and I look over and she's all crying, <laughs> this is the greatest show ever, you know. Sometimes just commercials. Anybody just crying commercials? No? You guys are all hard hearted, no one cries. Anything about kids or kids at college, oh, forget it, my, my, my uh, Christie's done. But that's not this. This is not uh, just a little bit of weepy. This is intense. This is the kind of emotion that, that suddenly sucker punches you and it's as though like your gut just dropped out, right? Just you lose control. It's a deep, deep, grief being released. And what makes Jesus respond that way? Well, he tells us in his own words. The people missed the significance of that day. <laughs> they caught part of it, but they didn't catch the, full, the fullness of it. The people missed the peace found in Jesus. He says, this is your day, your visitation, the things that would make for your peace, but you missed it. You know, In a world of political unrest and earthquakes and cancer and COVID, it's God's peace through Jesus Christ that sustains you and me. And it's the only peace that will sustain us through whatever life brings us. We live in a very broken world. People are broken. There are systems that are broken. And it's only in the Lord that we will be made whole. It's only in the Lord that you and I are made whole. And the Prince of Peace presented himself right there in front of him, and they missed it. They didn't acknowledge Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords of their heart. They wanted him to be something else. They're wanting external change, socioeconomic, political change. But they missed what Jesus was offering. Gang, we we don't want to miss that. You and I don't want to miss the peace the Lord offers and gives us. And so Jesus weeps for that fact, and then he weeps because he knew the people would face a future judgment. He knows that in a few years from this point, the Romans are going to come under a general by the name of Titus in 70 A.D., and they will ransack Jerusalem. They will completely destroy the temple. Stone will be knocked, all the stones will be knocked over. The temple in the city would be set on fire. The Romans would try to extract the gold. they will do that by melting part of the, you know, setting the temple on fire. Stealing all the, the artifacts. Innocent lives would be killed, The temple would be toppled. But the one who could save their souls was there now. And they missed it. And he's saying, you should have known this. You should have known that this is going to be the day that I came. In our time this morning, we don't have time to go through it. In years past, we've talked about all of the prophecies that would lead up to this day, that the Bible predicted that this was going to be the day, pointed to this event. When Jesus would present himself riding on this donkey on this particular day, Zechariah, the book of Daniel. And if they had read and believed, they shouldn't have missed it. And because they did, well, it broke the heart of Jesus. And, and this triumphal, tearful entry foreshadows another triumphal entry that, of Christ one that's yet to come. Because the the Lord has promised to come back. And and when the Lord comes back, it's not going to be meek and mild Jesus on the back of a donkey. He's coming in power and majesty. Our our general will be riding and bringing judgment to this sinful and Christ-rejecting world. But you know what doesn't change? The expectation that we would be ready. That's what carries over. That's the principle that remains even for you and for me, that we would be ready for His time of visitation when Christ comes back again. And the Bible says we don't know the day or the hour, but we can know the signs and the seasons, and that they are increasing with every day that passes. The Bible gives us very plain signs and seasons, you know, and the frequency of that is increasing. And So church family, I'll, I'll land here. Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus Christ is coming back, and we should be ready. We should be ready. As the Lord prepares everything for us, guess what? We can prepare our hearts for Him. Amen. Father, we thank you for our time in your word, the lessons of Palm Sunday. Lord, help us like the disciples to walk in obedient faith. We thank you, Jesus, that you've prepared everything for us, beginning with salvation. There's nothing left for us to do. What do we do? We, we receive. We receive. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who has yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, that today, the day they do that. And God, we thank you that as we walk in obedience, we get to experience your blessing. Life generally goes better when we do what the word tells us. And so Lord, help us to do that. That we wouldn't fret and worry and be anxious about what our future holds. But Lord, we would follow you. We'd simply follow you today. Lord, we know that you came and you want to be the king of our heart. That more than anything else, it's not necessarily a change of our circumstances, the change of our outward uh, things that are happening around us or to us. But Lord, your desire so often is just our hearts, that we would be the variable that changes, the outlook we have, the attitude that we have, the growth of our character and our integrity, Lord, that's what you're focused on. And so help us to focus on that too. And Lord, whatever it may mean for each of us to get right with you today, to confess our sins, to keep our accounts short, to know that you've died, lived and, and died and rose again for us, Lord, that we would be ready for when you come back. Lord, may we be a church family that is prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.